Your views, your values. This is WMNF Tampa 88.5 FM. You are tuned to Community Speaks here on WMNF Radio 88.5 FM. I'm your host, Patro Mabili, and we're continuing to talk about the Criminal Justice Summit that's coming our way here to the Tampa Bay area for the second year, coming October 21st and 22nd. And we're joined in the studio by someone who represents the Public Defender's Office who's going to talk about a portion of one of the panel panel discussions that will be held at the Criminal Justice Summit and we'll be joined by a few other people during the course of this show, but you can also call us at 813-239-9663 if you want to join this discussion and uh, stay tuned. We got a whole hour. This is the part of this extended hour of talk so that we can talk to you here on WMNF. So we got to get started right now in the studio we are joined by rocky brancata he's the chief operations officer uh, in the public defender's office and he joins us here on community speaks talk to us about the criminal justice summit that's coming on thank you for joining me today rocky thank you patro very much appreciate it uh well uh this is the second annual Criminal Justice Summit, and uh, last year it was a wonderful event held over at the Tampa Prep, a great facility, yeah. uh, and really done a, a first-class event. Uh, lots of different speakers. We have dignitaries there. We have thought leaders. Um, on my particular panel, the one I'm going to be speaking on, it is on community supervision and probation. And uh, on that panel, I'll be there with Susie Lopez, who's our state attorney. Uh, Joshua Montero, he's a uh, private attorney, and then Patrick Barrington, Barrentine, he is the circuit administrator for this circuit, mm. uh, which is all of Hillsborough County for probation. So I expect we'll learn a lot, uh, especially from Mr. Barrentine. Yeah, uh, but you know, I over the years when I talk to people who have been in jail and or had to go to trial, even for a misdemeanor. They get a public defender and they get a bad rap. Uh, what is up with that? Do you believe, or as a lot of people do, that the courts hamstring public defenders? Well, uh, I think that the courts can hamstring the entire defense mm. bar. It's not just public defenders. Mm. Um, and, and it's the clients. And it's best worked out through a cooperation between the client and the public defender or the client and the attorney because the system can be very scary. Yeah. You can find yourself in the situation where uh, you have a good defense. Uh, maybe you are innocent or maybe you have a good defense, but you want to roll it. But sometimes the consequences, if you lose, are so scary. Uh, and so what we really want to do at the public defender's office is inspire people and, and get them to have a trust level because we do want to try cases when their cases should be tried. We don't want them to take a plea offer and go on probation. Right. Uh, 
if they shouldn't. And uh, one of the things we do you know, for our attorneys to make sure they understand about probation, because probation is not a cakewalk. A lot of people say that you're being set up for failure. Uh, that, a lot of that depends on your resources and that type of stuff. But we have our attorneys, when they get to felony, we have them spend some time in the violation of probation courtroom so they can see exactly what happens and just how hard it is sometimes for someone to be successful on probation. Yeah, I, and I think that's important because I know people personally who refuse to take probation on a couple of occasions because they had a drug problem and nobody was going to address that and knew they would violate. <laughs> so they choose not to do that. How you talk to people who say that to you? That they're, that, they're that, not going to take probation because they'll violate. Well, it, it, it really depends on their circumstances. So if the case is such that, that there's a pretty good case against them uh, and they know they're going to violate, last thing I want to do is put them on probation and set them up for failure. Mm-hmm. That could be even worse. That does no one any good. Right. Um, so we would talk about realistic op- alternatives to resolve yeah. it. Um, you know, maybe a short county jail sentence if we can do that, uh, sometimes a short period in, in prison. But if they know they can't do it because they have a drug problem, I'd rather steer them into one of our problem-solving courts, our recovery courts, or if they're a veteran there, uh, where they're going to have a more holistic uh, outlook on how to essentially rehabilitate and make them whole. So there's no one-size-fit-all. You have to take each individual's case. Absolutely. And, you know, the system is starting to become more enlightened. Uh, you know, it, it goes in waves. We, the pendulum swings back and forth. Um, but, you know, when I first started, it, people really did think it was just a one-size-fits-all 24 years ago. You know, you give someone two years of probation, 50 hours community service, you send them to some drug class, and, and, and really it needs to be tailored for the, the person, uh, whether they have trauma. You have to address the trauma, whether they have mental illness, you have to address the mental illness, whether they have a drug problem. Uh, you have to really look at all of that. And if you don't look at all of it holistically, you can treat the drug problem. But if you don't get past the trauma, um, we not, might not be able to do much. And the other issue is the environment that might have caused the problem in the first place. They going back to that environment. Um, can that be addressed? Because I know that the panels talk about transitional housing and there's, there, you just have to look at some alternatives for certain people. You certainly do. And um, more and more we're finding resources for transitional housing. It Just like any type of housing right now, it's at a premium. It's very difficult. Yeah. Uh, but in our office, we have what's called our Forensic Behavioral Intervention Unit. And our uh, chief of that unit is always involved in trying to find those options to try to write grant proposals and that type of thing to be able to get whatever resources we can. And you're exactly right. Uh, If the person doesn't really have a good system or if they're in a house that um, is full of a bunch of people who are um, criminal justice involved, yeah, (laughs) it's just it's not going to work. Um, so you got to yeah. look at a lot of different things. Well, we're talking to Rocket Brancata. You're the chief operating officer and uh, at the public defender's office. And we looks as if we're joined on the telephone by Sophie. Uh, well, that's what I'm seeing. Uh, we'll go to the telephones and see who is joining us. But you can also join us by calling 813-239-9663. We're talking about the Criminal Justice Summit that's coming your way. We're talking about 
you know, looking at the quality of life for people who are caught up in the system, especially when it comes to public defense, especially when it comes to uh, what happens afterwards and maintaining uh, a life that does not require or that sends you back into the system. And, you know, this is about navigating this system. 813-239-9663 is the number to call. Let's go to the telephone and see who's joining us. Uh, looks like someone from A. Brown Ministries. Is that correct? Yes, A. Brown Ministries. Hi, thank you so much for having me. My name is Sophie Genty. How are you doing today? Great, great. Sophie Genty. Oh, okay, yes. Yeah. And uh, you're with A. Brown Ministries. Tell us, uh, are you going to be on one of the panels? Yes, I will be um, sitting on the Workforce Development panel this Saturday at the Stanford Bay Criminal Justice Summit. So I'm very much looking forward to an opportunity to share all of the great work that we're doing at Abraham Ministries uh, Comprehensive Reentry Program that is geared towards workforce development and getting individuals or ex-offenders back into the workforce, getting them reacclimated, and providing them with um, the wraparound services necessary to get an individual who was coming out of that system reacclimated mm -hmm. into the society, back into the community, and ensuring that they are able to kind of rehabilitate and start kind of being part of that community um, and playing an active role by first starting off with important because, you know, income is a huge conversation that we're having right now. But specifically with individuals or ex-offenders, that is a huge kind of like task to navigate, not knowing what resources you're needing. So, mm -hmm. Our program, the Inspired program, is geared towards focusing all of our resources and all of our efforts to um, those individuals so that they can succeed after um, being released from any institution. Right. So housing is uh, just as important, but you talked about workforce development as well so that people yes. could really reintegrate and rehabilitate. We go to the telephone lines and uh, Stay with us, and we'll see what others have to ask of you. But we have we have uh, one caller on the line who's okay. talking about uh, negligence and, and an injustice to him. Curtis from Tampa, you're on the phone. Go ahead, tell us what you're saying. I was yes. Go ahead. I was at a little incident with my youth. I went take him back, and the officer kept my license. His negligence tell me, get the F off the property. I left him gone. He chased me down, pulled me over. When I stopped, he got out of the car, tell me, get in the, back in the Jeep. So when I got back in the Jeep and I get out, he tell me, get out again. Put my hand up, he handcuffed me. He licked me on the ground, take me by my dreadlocks, bust my face with the glasses on my face. I get the pictures and everything of my brother. I can come and show you. Spread up my right eye. All two eyes swell up. He's taking my back like it was a pillar. He stomped me, took me by my locks. He smashed my face. Man, this guy did me like a dog. My brother said mm. it was in the night he would have killed me. Robert Lamb, that's his name. Robert After Lamb, that, you got his yeah. name. Yeah, and then Dusty Rhodes is the supervisor. His two Rhodes work for Tampa Police Department, two brothers. But Dusty know about it. He came and apologized to me. He went, he found my glasses. He brought my glasses, but it was broke up. My watch smashed up. He, he came to the... To the Ellicott and 40, right to the one, the dollar story, and he apologized to me. They made him talk for an hour. He, he apologized because he had a long story with me. Then they moved him. But the long story after that, 
they put me on anger management classes and took money from me again. Had me going out to 56, had me on every Wednesday morning on Zoom class. I said, boy, this is a wicked. I born in 1957, August the 2nd. I'm not stupid. I'm not dumb. I know exactly what they did to me. And they haven't seen him no more. I hire a law firm by the name of, what's his name? Here? Hold on. Man. I get his card right here. It's in, it's in, I was going to ask you, did you follow up with a lawsuit or yeah, get some kind of redress? Just the guy get the case right here. Jamie A-M-C-L-Y-M-O-N-T. That's the Tony. Now, he get the civil case. Now, he told me the other day that they trying to dismiss it because of the statute of limitations. But they give me a paper, say, six years. And I've been fighting with it. I sent an ACL. You, a letter, I went to the town of fair person out on the main office, which is on Tampa Bay Street and Lois. I went everywhere in the book trying to find a lawyer. I had the NAACP, but then they was going so slow. When I found Jamie, this law firm I just give you. That's who mm. get the case right now. Matter of fact, I was waiting on a call for him today, but he got cases. He in court right now. But yeah. this, that's, a, that's Jamie. I could give you his number, too. His office number is 813-549- Two eight one three. That's okay. his office number, and he'll tell you about me. He got the pictures and everything. My shoulders swell up. The man used my back as a pillar. Listen to me. God will strike me dead here today. This blessed sixteenth day of October, twenty thirteen. I never had nothing done to me in my lifetime like what he did to me Christmas Day. How much time did you did you go to spend in jail? Three days. Three days. So they had me out. I'm in the jail. They didn't have, no, they took. They didn't take me to jail okay. at all. No, let me. That's another thing they did. The heat baker asked me. Say I was crazy. But when they came out at three o'clock that morning, the people talking to me, I couldn't see who I was talking to because my two eyes blocked. So I talked hmm. to him like, Mister Miss, that was done. I ain't here because of his behavior. That's to call him up. And the doctor who takes the pictures is on my phone. He said, Miss Adderley, please get a lawyer. But I couldn't see for three days. Well, it looks like you did all the right things, Curtis. Uh, thank you for calling us and giving us your case, uh, telling us your story. Thank you very much. So what do y'all do for matters like this, seeing that you get the notice now? Well, that's why we're having we're going to have the Criminal Justice Summit. So you should you should attend, which is October twenty second, on a Saturday at the Tampa yeah. Prep School. You should attend and tell your story. That's the reason that there'll be a lot of people there that'll be interested October, in your story. Oh, give me that again, October the 10th. 21st mm -hmm. and 22nd. Okay. That's this month. That's right. It's coming up. 10th to 21st. Mm -hmm. 20th and 21st. The 20th and the 21st. That's right, at the Tampa Prep School. Uh, at the Tampa. You, you, you give me the address of that, please. Uh, do we have the address? I don't know. Uh, I have it. It's uh, 727 Cass. That's C-A-S-S Street. 727 Cass Street. Mm -hmm. And that's here in Tampa. 727 Cass, C-A-S Street. Mm -hmm. I got it. That's Great. 727 West Cass Street. Yeah, I think you should show up, Curtis. Most definitely, man. Most definitely, because I had a lawyer called Dave. Dave something, he went on town. Like, I'm stupid. I come from Bahamas. I have Ralphs and Adderley's. That's lawyers. I'm not stupid, but I say I was. And then I went to Kathy Castle, too. She told me go to Tallahassee. I said, listen, then you want support? Come on, man. I went to everybody in the book. I wrote the NAACP. I get the letters. I generally just asked me for that. 
uh, Friday gone, me and him had a phone. And matter of fact, I talked to him earlier this morning. He in court. <laughs> he get this matter, but he said they're trying to dismiss it. So I called downtown to speak to the state attorney's office just Friday. Oh, you can't come. Because I said, what you mean? I'm the victim. He handcuffed me and beat me on the ground, beat my face in the eyes, swell up my eyes. Then he co up his nastiness, Baker Acme. Yeah. The doctor told me they've been doing it to a lot of people, Mr. Adley. Hire a liar. Yeah, I think you did the right thing. That was good advice. Thank you, Curtis. We have to move on because we're running out of time. But, yeah, you must hear stories like that all the time in the public defender's office. Well, it, it, it does happen. And I can tell you the beautiful thing about 2023 is body cams. Yeah. When I first started, we didn't have those body cams and, you know, heard lots of different stories from lots of different people. And it wasn't always easy to parse out really what really happened. But body cams right. are phenomenal. Right. They're one of the best things that's happened uh, to the justice system and, and, and just to society. And it's a witness that's always watching. And uh, but, you know, th that would actually be true of the uh, closed circuit TV cameras that are all around the cities where nobody knows where they are half the time. But it's good to have those as well because the body cameras can be turned off or it can be manipulated. The, the film can be manipulated. I wonder if often if the third party should be responsible for all the body cam film. Well, uh, that is a that is a question. And, and you do bring up another good point, too. There's the closed circuit TVs, but there's our uh, cameras. But pretty much wherever you are, we send investigators out to private businesses all the time mm. because everyone has a camera these days. And sometimes that's going to make the difference between a not guilty. And in this case, Mr. Curtis's case, it could make the difference between his getting uh, compensated on his civil rights lawsuit. Or that's not. right. And uh, Sophie, um, Ms. Genty, you uh, must, must know that there are people who and they come to you for transitional housing or for workforce development that there are often other issues that they present as well that you have to uh, advise them on. And how do you deal with with other type issues such as maybe uh, brutality or people who have been hurt by police or or have some other mental issues that might be going on that they have to deal with? How do you deal with especially mental health issues with people who are transitioning? Well, thank you for asking that. That is actually um, one of the reason why our program approaches um, the whole person theory the way that we do is that initially an individual, when hearing about our, our Inspire program and hearing about the work opportunity, they initially come in seeking employment. But once you sit down with individuals coming out of these um, institutions or who have been incarcerated, you start to find out that the there's more to that per individual than just their background and their need for employment. You start to have conversations, and we find out that there are other um, co-occurring issues at play, like mental health and substance abuse or some trauma that they've um, experienced. So a part of our program is that each individual who goes through our program, they'll be assigned a case manager who will sit down with them and um, do a very detailed, what we call, plan of care, to determine their entire need. And at that point, we're able to also kind of preliminary assess their substance abuse um, treatment needs, mental health status, and then also kind of get them connected to those resources that we partner with um, in the community so that they can kind of start that treatment plan while they're in our program. We have a great understanding that, you know, our ultimate goal is employment, but individuals coming out of incarceration have co-occurring issues and we need to address that first before we can start focusing on employment. So 
we definitely approach that in-house as well, where we're quickly and immediately connecting them to those needs so that their lives can be stabilized and then that they're able to now focus on employment. So our program is definitely doing a great job at catching those issues early on and connecting them to those resources and also walking hand in hand with those individuals to make sure that they're following up with treatment plans, they're connecting, they're going up to follow-up appointments, they're taking their medication, and they know what other resources are open and available to them while they're in our program. It seems to me I've passed by the, the church on a couple of occasions and saw people being fed. Who do you feed? Yeah, so we have a food for life pantry um, that is open the last two Fridays of every month, and then we have a special um, food distribution during November and December for the holidays where we partner with Metropolitan Ministries. Um, we're able to give out a turkey and a wealthy and healthy um, food bag to the community, and that is open to not only our clients but the community at, at large as well. Wow. Eight Brown Ministries. And how can people find the uh, information to get in touch with you? So, Abel Ministries, we're located in the heart of East Tampa off of 29th and 21st. Our address mm-hmm. is 29th, 21st, North 29th Street. Um, we're right by the Wilson Funeral Home. Um, we're always open Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. And you're able to walk in, give us a call, ask us for whatever services you might need, and we'll make sure to assist you or put you in the right direction. We're always open to not only in the assisting individuals who have been affected by the criminal justice system, but also who are returning Well, uh, Rocky, finally, let me ask you, the system really sometimes, it not sometimes, but all the time bothers me, especially when I hear stories of people who spent decades behind bars and they didn't even do the crime. Uh, it's hard to trust in a system when you hear stories like that. It, it certainly yeah. does. I, I don't think that that is widespread. It does happen. And I'll say this. I'll give a reverse uh, thought process on having a public defender. Uh, the advantage of having a public defender is you have a group of attorneys who are trained. Um, they, are, they work for an elected person who, whose name is on the door. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of supervision. Whereas in the private bar, anyone who graduates from law school without any training other than their law degree could go out there and start representing people. So sometimes we get an unfair shake, yeah. uh, but we certainly do train our attorneys uh, to be sensitive to, to, you know, we have people who are innocent. We have people who are not as severe. They're, they're overcharged. Yeah, uh, and that that's by far the more predominant thing is overcharging versus actual innocence. But we have it, and I know that I've represented people who are actually innocent, and there is nothing more um, difficult because you have a great weight on your back when you take someone to trial who's actually innocent, and uh, you could really feel it if if you lose. So you put everything into every case, uh, but especially those cases. Well, I got to say when I last. Uh saw a public defender at work, they were really doing a good job. They were really trying hard to bring some fairness or get a good deal for their clients. So I got my hat was off to that particular public defender. And I know the public defender's office do get a bad shake, but, you know, I know that they have 
they have parameters within the courts, and some judges are not so easy on them at times. So, well, um, I'm not on this planet to have an easy life. I'm here <laughs> to make a difference, and um, you know, I kind of got a little bit of flack from a judge today. Uh, for moving to continue, and the judge gave me the continuance, but uh, okay. there, there was I get a lot of flack for that, and and, and that's okay. Yeah. Uh, well, I wonder about that because that and that was one of my particular questions in my head is about when you ask for a continuance, will a judge say, "Oh, you're not going to waste our time anymore"? So, but you know, you need time to investigate and get all of the facts together, even if it's a misdemeanor or a major felony. Right. Absolutely. And it just depends on the circumstances. I mean, certainly there are attorneys out there who maybe are not prepared and they ask for a continuance and the judges know who they are. Mm. Um, But sometimes you really do need a continuance. Either you're not ready or maybe you have a witness who can't come and they're essential. Um, So, you know, I've never been afraid of uh, having a judge yell at me. (laughs) Well, I guess you do have to have a thick skin to be a public defender. Hey, Rocky Brankata, thank you for joining me. You're going to be on the panel. We're talking about probation mostly on October 22nd at Tampa Prep School. Thank you, Rocky. Thank you so much for having me. And this is Community Speaks. And we're going to continue this conversation on the other side because we're talking about some of the hot spots on this globe. Keep it tuned right here. Community Speaks on WMNF Radio 88.5 FM. WMNF now and into the future by donating gifts of stock, real estate, retirement assets, or a life insurance policy. It's easy to leave a legacy of love. Just call Ian at 813-238-8001 or go to WMNF.org slash giving to get started today. WMNF and Living Mirror Playback Theater will host a monthly community talkback and improv show live here in the WMNF studios, 7 p.m. on the fourth Friday of every month. The event will be based on our monthly mission calendar covering topics such as economic justice, environmental issues, and more. We invite community activists and interested listeners to come and share their thoughts and experiences. Then Living Mirror will play back those stories using improv techniques. It'll be a compelling evening of community sharing and improv theater, but space in our studio is limited. So go online to wmf.org backslash events to reserve your seat. tuned to Community Speaks. My name is Patrick Mabili, your host for this radio program, public affairs program, and uh, we're going to continue 
our conversation on the issue on some of the international issues that are going on. We are all aware of some of the hot spots in the world, especially the conflict between Israel and Hamas. Uh, this uh, war has forced Russia into a delicate balancing act with Moscow urging a quick end to the fighting without apportioning blame. The careful stand that uh, is due to Russia's long ties to Israel, the Palestinians, and other regional players, and it reflects the Kremlin's hope to expand its clout in the Middle East by playing peacemaker, if you can believe that. Russia also tried to cast the hostilities as a failure of U.S. policy, and it hopes they will be a distraction for Washington and its allies who have been maintaining their military support for Ukraine, which Russia invaded and started a war with. Uh, but who is Hamas? And uh, how did they get around Israel's Iron Dome defense mechanism? And we've listened and talked to a lot of people who have uh, talked about it was really a matter of numbers that you can overwhelm the Iron Dome system and with uh, a lot of cheaper missiles. Each interceptor that was sent out to try to intercept the missiles coming from Gaza uh, cost a lot more than... Uh, the missiles. So the interceptors were much more expensive than the, I guess, Hamas was able to buy so many more to overwhelm the interceptors. So one of the first things that the United States offered to help uh, Israel was to send some interceptors. Uh, but the idea of the, the, the idea that Hamas has been training for a year, have been uh, really planning to finance this uh, operation was really through a newer form of terror financing and our financing, and that is through cryptocurrency. And uh, right now I'm joined on the telephone by a friend of mine. We'll talk about a few things before we get out of here, but we certainly want to pick up on this point of how Hamas was able to finance through this new form of financing cryptocurrency. This is Michael Lortz joining me here on Community Speaks. Michael, are you there? Well, Billy, how are you, my friend? I'm good. How are you? Always great to hear from you. I'm doing well, doing well. Looking forward to, the, to today. Yeah, it's been, it's been on my counter for a while <laughs> to talk with you. Well, yeah, and, uh, you know, I... Tell me, give me the uh, title of what you have done on, on the issue of training. So I have, um, I call myself a hybrid analyst. Mm -hmm. And, and the, reason I did, the reason I call myself that is a few years ago, maybe about 10 or so, the term hybrid warfare kind of came, um, came into the lexicon. And what hybrid warfare is, is the using of different elements to... You know, in warfare, you got the military, you know, straight people in uniforms, guns, everything. Mm. But what's happened over the last, say, 20 years or so is things have kind of diversified. You've got economic warfare. You've got uh, information warfare. You've got all these things that have kind of bubbled up to the headlines now. And getting smart on all these things is essential, you know, because it is a chessboard now. You've got you're not just fighting with pawns. You're fighting with rooks and bishops. 
in Queens, you know, you've got multiple things to bring to a strategy. So I kind of call myself a hybrid analyst. I have a lot of different experiences. I've worked on on military base, you know, on different things like that, uh, different places, Afghanistan, um, Qatar. So, you know, a lot of different issues, plus getting a business degree and understanding how, you know, analysis can be used in things like marketing and finance. You know, analysis is analysis, but it's how we use it that makes it, you know, that, that you know, where are we going to focus that laser? But, right. you know, getting back into, you know, what, what you mentioned with cryptocurrency, yes. and that's using technology in warfare in in using methods that aren't normal. You know, it's not just, you know... Um, smuggling dollar bills anymore, you know, or it's not right. just the drug trade. It's, it's using all this technology to our, to, well, it's adversaries using it to their advantage in a way that gets around, you know, you mentioned the iron dome. How do you, you know, that's a physical shooting down a rocket, but how do we get, how would a adversary get around a sensor or a, Oh, um, you know, something, to get money from point A to point B. And that's where the cryptocurrency right. type of thing comes in. Well, I thought if you if you use cryptocurrency, the only way crypto works is that it, there's a there's a transaction log somewhere that every transaction is logged. Sure. And that's true because, you know, um identity A needs to pass money or digits of some kind of currency to identity B. But it's the platforms, and you've got um, – so you can log in to say, like, I, I use a thing called um, – what is it? Um, there's, a, there's online wallets that okay. you can use. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of the website I have. And I have a little bit of Bitcoin. So, you know, just to kind of check it out and see. And obviously, I've lost money over the last year. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, I have a little bit of Bitcoin because I said, you know, I want to figure out how this – how what, what, what's going on with all this? And it's just like a trading platform, like you would trade, you know, yen or pounds or euros to dollars. It's a currency platform. Mm-hmm. And sure, you could go to the bank, you know, you could go to your local Bank of America or SunTrust or Truist or whatever it is and say, okay, I've got a dollar. How many pounds can I get back? Or how many euros can I get back? Right, that's foreign exchange. Right. It's basically the same thing. Okay. You know, I'm taking Bitcoin and I'm transferring it to Dogecoin. I'm taking Dogecoin, I'm transferring it to this other kind of coin. And obviously that market is determined by how much you will pay for it. You know, there's values to everything. A Bitcoin is somewhere, typically somewhere around $30,000 for, $30, for a whole Bitcoin. Um, and then, of course, there's percentages of Bitcoin. I've got a hundred thousandth of a Bitcoin. How much is that worth? Um, but you get on these platforms and... You exchange your currency. You're basically money laundering, or you're. Mm-hmm. It, it can be money laundering if the platform is not monitored. Right. And a lot of the big ones, you know, Crypto.com, or you know, one of the a lot of the big major ones, especially the ones we saw advertised a lot over the last few years, they're they're monitored, and you know, they have so many people trading on it that they know if they were to go under, they're getting the casual investor. So the casual investor starts losing money because, hey, I traded this for this, but I only got back this much. You're doing something illegal. You know, they have to be very upfront. But if that, it, mm-hmm. 
if I'm donating to Hamas, then only they're only going to allow only certain people on their blockchain, right? Right. So right. I can't yeah, investigate yeah. if I'm not on the blockchain. Right. And then you've got, you know, um, what identities um, are you using on that platform? Um, how is the platform recording? You know, it's it's transactions. It, it is money laundering. You know, there's just no doubt about it. It's money laundering going from point A to point B. Who's getting their cut? Who's doing the transaction? So, so do you think that the UN or the United States will ever be able to uh, find out how who donated to Hamas? It's possible. Um, you know, I from a physical standpoint, if they arrest somebody who has some kind of transactions on their computer, you know, maybe they have an Excel spreadsheet and it says, oh, this person donated to this. I mean, obviously, but you're not always going to get that silver bullet solution right there. Oh, he captured this guy and he had mm -hmm. this computer or he had this ledger, you know, printed out in a notebook. You know, it's never going to be that right. easy. But could they possibly piece it all together? I mean, we have, you know, dozens of intelligence agencies, um, hundreds and thousands of intelligence analysts working these kind of problem sets on a daily basis. You know, uh, the D.C. area is full of them. Um, and they're, you know, always trying to work these problem sets and trying to piece together. It's a, it's a puzzle, you know, and it's, okay, we got this money that's going over to here, but we don't have it going over to here. You know, who, who might those people be? And there's the black market and, you know, the dark web. And sometimes mm -hmm. it is hard to find where these things happen. You know, we've, we've got to have the, t the right people in the right places and the right um, observations. You know, and, and, we t and you mentioned previously, uh, the, the previous guests talked about um, uh, body cams. We, you know, that, that kind mm -hmm. of surveillance of people and, and actions to point out illegal actions. We don't have that. The dark web is dark for, you know, a reason, <laughs> you know. And so a lot of bad players have been using it and um, pretty much turning the libertarian idea of we want the government out of our business on its head. Sure. You know, and, and that's the, the philosophy of the Internet and, and anonym, um, using anonymous um, anonymization. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's, there's always been people on the Internet um, where you don't know. And I'm very much against having to name and identify every single person on the Internet. That would be, you know, a, a huge surveillance state yeah. action. You know, China does that where you have to have a an ID and everything to get on the Internet or, you know. But so I'm very much against that. But somewhere in the middle, you know. You know, being able to just log into the dark web and make it a transaction, it's not its not easy. you got to know where to go, and you got to be, you know, a lot of these places that do the, the worst stuff in the worst places online, you've actually got to be approved. You just can't create an account. You have right. to, you know, they have to kind of know who you are. Well, so or you have to prove your medal. As the, you know, over the last 10 years or so, uh, you've been talking to people who've been trying to play catch up, right? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, they will, you know, either talking to them or reading their their work or, mm -hmm. you know, and, and a lot of it is, there's a lot of it is that you could Google and find on your own, because um, a, a lot of this research is what they call open source. 
you know, it's an investigator. It's, you know, some co- a company, or, you know, it's, it's a private investigator, you know, somebody on their, on their own just digging through the dark web and be like, ooh, wait, what did I just find? You know, and then there's a lot of people out there that, that are kind of investigative hobbyists, if you will. You know, they, they would try and find ISIS members or they would try and find, you know, they, these, you know, terrorist group members and accounts and, and identify, oh, right. this email address, sign up for this account and this account. And I just saw it on this dark web page. You know, wait, uh, oh, they're putting the they're putting the puzzle together. But it is a huge game of cat and mouse. Well, I suppose, yeah, that's why we have to dedicate certain, like, if you look at Central Command, they're dedicated to whatever happens in the Middle East, right? Yes, and that's because the military uses a lot of geographic, they've divided the world geographically, you know, we got Central Command is responsible for this area, North Command, Northern Command is responsible for this area, Southern Command, you know, it's, it's easier from a military perspective to just kind of you know, divide the world up instead of having one general say, oh, you're here, here's, you know, your entire world. Yeah. It's easier to, for, for them to throw out the money and, and the necessary resources. And that's a lot of what that is for, for is to say, okay, this money's going to the, to the issue set from this part of the world. This money's going to the issue set of this part of the world. And we just happen to have, you know, these headquarters right here in our backyard here in Tampa. That's right. Um, so a lot of our neighbors and, you know, people that we know, you know, um, may be working on this set, you know, this problem set. And, you know, I've done, I've done my share of uh, traveling the world and hopefully, uh, you know, making the world a better place. Well, hopefully. And uh, what if, what, what's the quality of the, of the conversation you're having? You were, you were in the Middle East, right? Yeah, I did. I worked uh, Afghanistan for a little bit uh, about ten years ago, and of course, that's not a, a a a thing anymore. You know, we don't have you know anybody uh, in Afghanistan anymore. So the the buildings I were in are no longer occupied by the people that I worked with. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, uh, it's just it's tough because you know, like I said, it's a lot of technology is being advanced by people that are not in uniform military service folks. So, you know, we've, it's, it becomes the private sector working with the military sector, working with the academic sector, working with so many different sectors. You know, we've got great universities here in Tampa that are helping the folks on the base, you know, um, in different perspectives and, you know, guest speakers and, you know, they all kind of go talk to each other, you know, and, and it's sharing ideas, it's sharing technology, sharing methods, and, you know, saying, hey, wait, we've got a, gr- a bunch of students that are, you know, working this thing. Can they, you know, maybe share their, you know, research? And then you've got universities. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. It's, it is a big problem set that our governments might not have the money or the manpower um, mm-hmm. to do on its own. So we do have a lot of companies out there that, you know, research the dark web, yeah. um, a lot of companies that, you know, and some of it is preventative. They're, you know, hey, uh, you, know, you sign up for, um, I'm trying to think of one of them off the, off the top of my head, uh, Norton Security or something, and maybe they have some people that are looking for your email, making sure your email address or your credit card number doesn't pop up on the dark web. You know, and, and but we've also got, there are also the analysts and the investigators who are not just looking for credit card numbers and email addresses, but they're looking for personalities and, you know, ooh, wait, this guy just created an account on this dark web market 
he was on this dark web market. What's his, what's he doing business over there for? You know, it's trying to follow the, uh, again, cat and mouse game. Right. And, uh, but I know that, I'm sorry. I know that Russia's Putin has a whole department set up for undermining other countries through the web and cyber security has become the new cold war. Oh, for sure. For sure. It is, you know, I've got several books here uh, in my apartment on uh, some of the stuff that Russia's done. There's some really good ones. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, walk over and name two or three of them that some listeners may be interested in. Um, one was uh, Sandworm. Hmm. And, uh, and that's a really good one about the Russian unit that's done some uh, ransomware and some, uh, you know, put um, uh, other malware out there that has destroyed billions and dollars, billions of dollars in assets, and you know, um, just attacking infrastructure. And you know, maybe they they're trying to attack Ukraine or Georgia. And the malware or the virus gets out, and next thing you know, it's attacked um, a multinational company, and, you know, they're shut down for two days, you know, while they clean up uh, a virus that wasn't really intended for them, but that somebody clicked the wrong email, Hmm. or it went from one email box to another, and now they have billions of dollars in damage, or lost revenue, or whatever. There's a lot of, I guess you can say, kind of collateral damage when you're sending out a, uh, an email virus, you know, and, and we, there's a, you know, cybersecurity is also a billion dollar industry to prevent these things from happening. But when governments have entire units or entire, you know, um, you know, that they're in cahoots with uh, organized crime and their hackers and, you know, and that's, that's what Russia does is Russia is known for, um, aligning themselves with organized crime. And, you know, the, the organized crime will hire the hackers. Mm-hmm. And so Russia just says, well, it wasn't our people, but they're in cahoots with the organized crime syndicates. You so know, why, that's why it's, uh, it's, it's concerning to me that he, Russia's Putin is jockeying as a potential peacemaker here based on his close ties to both sides when he, there's a history of playing both sides against the middle. Oh, for sure, for sure. And, you know, you, you kind of kind of question if Russia were to go in there with diplomats and sit down at a table, what is their end game? Are they really, <laughs> you know, do they really want peace on Earth or are they there just to be, you know, just to upset the apple cart? Yeah, you know? to keep everybody else distracted so that they can continue their assault on Ukraine. Right. Well, yeah, Oh, sure, for sure. Eight one three two three nine nine six six three. Even for the last few minutes, we are talking to Michael Lords, a hybrid trainer. Hybrid. I, I like to use hybrid analyst. Analyst. I'm sorry, hybrid yeah, analyst. I've done some training. I've done some. Yeah, training. that's what's keep. <laughs> I keep thinking about that. I know you've done some training. But eight one three two three nine nine six six three. If you have any questions for Michael Lords, we're kind of digging into the dark side of all of this, the secrecy and the use of cryptocurrency to fund things so that you can't uh, really figure out who's uh, backing somebody financially. So this is the brave new world we're living in, Michael. And uh, But the whole hot war still goes on. So 
which you know we're trying to figure our way through all of this and see who all the players are and what like you said the end game is for those who claiming to be the peacemakers especially in the guys of Russia uh, but you know today is also boss's day <laughs> and just uh, you know if you need a little lighthearted reading there's a couple of reading there's a couple of books you've written on a a uh, more lighthearted note called The Man Makes You Work. I do suggest you read that if you just want to get your mind off what's happening in the world right now. But it looks like some people are calling 813-239-9663 is the number to call. You're tuned to Community Speaks. And I do want to hear from you, the community, as we talk to an, a hybrid analyst about all of this new technology that is coming to bear on world events today. We got to go to the telephone lines and see what Ron has to say, Michael. And uh, he's out of Mango. Go ahead, Ron. You say what? Hey, Mike Mobile. Uh, I just wanted to get his take on how that ha uh, has any impact on the uh, dollar being turned into a uh, coin. I've been getting a lot of right-wing political stuff in my box about uh, that's the business, gold, and end game, and what he thinks about that being or done, yeah. and, uh, how that would affect, affect everything. That's yeah. Cool. Michael, what's the what's going on there? The right wing is pushing all of that on people. Ooh, that's, that's, that's a little out of my specter, uh, spectrum. I, I uh -huh. don't get too much into the like macroeconomic type things. And, and, you know, I know that we're obviously not on the gold standard and that certain countries have actually tied their trade to Bitcoin um, what was the country. Right, the, there are a few central banks that want to go there. Right, right. And it's, you know, you need consensus when with whatever currency you're tying to your your dollar bill to. You know, we had it on the gold standard for, for decades. And right. you know, for somebody to tie it to Bitcoin, it, that, that might be a little risky. And I think that that's right now is the, the consensus that tying things to cryptocurrency Trying the national currency to cryptocurrency is, is highly, highly risky. Right. And is just as risky, if not more risky, is tying it to gold because gold was uh, pushing a sort of inequality. Uh, whoever had the most gold <laughs> won the day. And, you know, we know after the financial crisis of the early 20th century, a lot of in during the war, the World War II, one into actually, a lot of European countries sent their gold to the United States. So the United States is sitting on a Almost everybody's gold right now. But we have, you know, the so-called BRICS nation who wants to replace the dollar as the reserve currency on the globe. But they want to do it by backing it up with gold. Sure. It, it, we go right back to gold. <laughs> so I think they're going to fail if they do that. Uh, 813-239-9663. But, Michael, tell us about some of your works, other works that you, you've done as we head on out of here for today. You know, there's some lighthearted reading you've done uh, here on Bosses Day. I remember reading your 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 book, The Boss Makes You, uh, The Man Makes You Work. And so I, Yeah, I've done a little bit of stand-up comedy in yeah. my day, and I kind of had a uh, Twitter account where I said, you know, the man... Uh, the man pulls you over. The man does this. <laughs> yeah. you know, kind of makes your life a little bit miserable. And it was it was all lighthearted. I tied it all together in a book I put up on Amazon called "The Man Makes You Work." Uh, I wrote that under a pen name called Jordy Scrubbings um, because you know the, I don't want the man knowing 
wrote a book about it. So yeah, I, just, I enjoyed you know, it. I, I, I try to keep it. Um, I try to keep that balance in my life between creativity and and um, you know serious because some of this work can get really serious really quick. And if you do it twenty four seven three sixty five, you're going to burn yourself out. You need some creative outlets. Right. You need to let out some stress. Exactly. And uh, also, usually don't read nonfiction, but every now and then I pick up a good novel, and you've written one of those as well based on a on an old motif. I did. Um, actually, when I was in Afghanistan, I wrote the rough draft of a book about a baseball player that makes a deal with the devil. And that, ball, that book turned, or that rough draft turned into my novel Curveball at the Crossroads. And uh, through the years, I've been able to get it published, and it's out there. It's on Amazon as well. Uh, it was runner-up book of the year here in Tampa Bay in 2021. So again, trying to maintain that that, that creative balance, you know, from you know the time you get home from work to the time you go to sleep, wake up, and then go back and be serious for half the day. Yeah. So. Well, we and we do have to be serious because you know the world can you know can be burning. And we can't ignore it. No, no, we can't. We can't. But you do need that, you know, you do need that balance in your life. Yeah. <laughs> and good friends. And good friends. And that's, you know, I count you as a good friend. Oh, well, that's great, man. Yeah, I count you as well. And, um, I want to thank you, my good friend, for joining me here on Community Speaks today. It was fun. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, that was Michael Lortz. And uh, he was talking to us about, you know, these newfound, uh, this newfound, this brave new world of of uh, Bitcoin, uh, new technology to fight old wars, and uh, you know the same kinetic hot wars are still with us, and we have to be on top of what is happening and all the players involved and what their agendas are, and you know a lot of people claim they're peacemakers and they're not; uh, they are destabilizers and that's what the point was today i want to thank you for joining me here on community speaks we got to get back to the music blaine whalen is waiting to get back to the music and uh we'll be back next week of course for another edition of community speaks where we'll continue to talk about all of these hot button issues locally and globally so keep it tuned for the rest of the day programming here on wnf tampa Freedom, just like a waving flag. When I get older, I will be stronger. They'll call me freedom, just like a waving flag. And then it goes back, and then it goes back, and then it goes back. Oh. Born to a throne, stronger than Rome, but violent prone. Poor people's own, but it's my own.